0: Welcome. Uh, just to let you know the notes. Hello, 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 hello. Oh thanks. You're very social. Very uh, all the notes have been sent on the WhatsApp group, so if you have that, if you don't have a WhatsApp group, they're on the QR code there. and um, there's a second set of notes for, for this this session. Um, today. So let me let me just begin and pray and ask for the Lord's help for our seminar and uh, we'll get going. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, that we get a time to focus on the sufficiency of your word. Lord, thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you for communicating to us, speaking to us clearly. And I pray, Lord, that we continue to love and adore the word that you have given us, because it is that word that bears witness to you. So, Lord, help us see you this morning. In your precious name, amen. Amen. So Kevin has been uh, done the first seminar with you guys, and thankfully he will do the next seminar, so very thankful for Kevin uh, kind of covering for, for me as well a little bit, and um, us working together. It's a real joy uh, to work together and to serve together in this way. Uh, so yesterday, Kevin was talking about the reliability of the scriptures, the reliability of the Bible, and the inspiration of the Bible and today what we want to talk about is the sufficiency of the Bible or the sufficiency of Scripture. And so this is a seminar, so I'm going to talk a bit and give you an opportunity to discuss a bit, and then I'll talk a bit, and we'll kind of do it that way. And if you don't want to talk, there's going to be a lot of silence in those moments. Okay. That's fine. We'll just work it out as we do. Uh, but as we think of the sufficiency of Scripture, as we think of the sufficiency of the Word, what I want to bring you back to is a few years ago when I used to work in Fruit Boost, It was a juice bar that I worked in. I can make a mean strawberry heaven, Mm. I can make a mean tropical storm, and I can make a mean my favorite, the cool coconut. Mm. Uh, So that's where I worked um, a few years back. I did a 10 hour shift on Saturday in Fruit Boost in Man Point. And as I was doing this 10 hour shift, I wanted to share Christ somehow with the people that I was working with. So I determined, here's what I'm gonna do. I am going to bring my Bible with me every time I work. And on every lunch break, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring that out and I'm going to commit to reading scripture every lunch break. And I'm going to pray for the people that I work with. So I brought in the Bible. I did my Bible at lunch break. I brought it back and I noticed the people working with me wondering what I kept doing, what I kept bringing around with me. And there was one friend of mine, he was Chinese, and he took a special interest in what I was doing. So I prayed about it, and I asked the Lord to help me. And I decided what I would do is I would try and find the best-looking Mandarin Bible that I could find. And I bought it, and that time when I walked into work on that Saturday, I walked in with two Bibles, his and mine. And I gave him his Bible, and he was thrilled with it. I brought my Bible out for my lunch break and then it was time for his lunch break. Do you know what he did? He brought his Bible out with him. He came back with his Bible, still pages open in Genesis. Where do you start in any book you're given? You start from the beginning. So he started from the beginning. What a privilege it was to see a man read the scripture for the very first time in his own language. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And he asked me this question. Shane, what do I do when I'm finished? What do I do when I'm finished? I said this. You read it again. <laughs> you read it again. And that is the amazing thing about Scripture, isn't it? The Scripture is They are a phenomenal book that the Lord has given us. What book do you have that you even read twice? There are very few books that we have that we will ever even read twice, let alone have books that we will read over and over and over again. And then when we read them over and over again, there seems to be this power in the Word to change our lives and enable us to live our lives for the Lord. (coughs) And that is the sufficiency of Scripture. That is the sufficiency of the Bible. What we're saying is that the Scripture is enough. That in the Bible we have enough for our life. And in the Bible we have enough for godliness. It is sufficient. And so what I want to do this morning, there are many different verses we could have gone to and turned to. And it is clear to me right now, if you are a very detailed person and want me to get through all the notes, probably not going to do it. We'll see what happens. Um, But what I want to do, rather than going through a load of verses, is just to go go through one text. It's 2 Timothy. You can turn in your Bibles there. 2 Timothy. And we're going to begin in the seminar just with discussion on these verses. So maybe in the row that you're in, three or four people or whatever, All I want you to simply do is maybe if you don't know each other, maybe just introduce yourselves, no testimonies or any of that stuff, just, you know, Christians are talkers, right? We want to talk about the scriptures this morning, so just say your name, maybe what church you're in, and then what I want us to do is maybe just in your group, pick a reader in your group just to read um, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 verse 14 down to verse 17, So here's what I want you to do in your group. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 14, down to verse 17. Just read that and just make some quick, simple observations, okay? I'm not going to give you a a whole lot of time, but just talk about what it says in those verses about the scriptures, okay? So that's what I want you to do just for the next few minutes in in two, two or threes or fours or whatever the row is. Um, please take just some time to do that so pick a reader okay the reader just volunteer quickly don't spend who's gonna read volunteer quickly and let's get going thank you And have the scripture tell us what it means about the sufficiency of scripture itself. And what I want you to see, I'm just going to make two very simple observations. You've probably had better thoughts than I have even on this, but but just some simple observations. First, it is looking at the ability of the scriptures themselves, what the scriptures are able to do, present tense, what they are able to do. Verse 14 says this, but as for you, he's talking to Timothy, he's encouraging Timothy in this letter, he's encouraging Timothy when Paul is in his time and suffering in prison, he's encouraging Timothy with his last words. Paul knows he is near death and he is writing to his son in a way, son in the faith. And he's giving him some important instruction. And what he's saying to him is he wants him to hold firm and not be ashamed of the gospel truth that he has. And the final words that Paul seeks to speak to Timothy is this, words about scripture. I want you to stick to the Scripture. I want you to preach it. I want you to preach it in season and out of season. I want you to remember what you have. And I want you to remember scripture's ability. He says this in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. And I firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it. His mother and his grandmother. They told him. Verse 5, it tells us of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. From you when he was very young, verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What are these sacred writings? They are the scriptures themselves. And what are you saying about the scriptures? The scriptures themselves are able to make you wise unto salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what scriptures would Timothy have been brought up in? The Old Testament Testament scriptures. The sacred writings. Those scriptures. The Old Testament is able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You mean that Leviticus is able to do that? Absolutely! Absolutely! What do the sacrifices point to? Christ Himself. What does the priest point to? Christ Himself. So you have the priest offering the sacrifice, the sacrifice points to Christ, and then the pinnacle of Leviticus is what? The Day of Atonement in chapter 16. The beautiful atonement that we have in Christ. It's wonderful, the scriptures. Book of Numbers. How is that? Numbers. Will that be able to make me wise unto salvation? Yes, you have these people grumbling and complaining in the wilderness. And yet you see this faithful son in the wilderness who remained obedient and then continued that obedience throughout his life to the point of death, even death on a cross. You say kings? Yes, of course. Because we have the great king in Christ Jesus. You say the prophet. Yes, of course, because we have the great prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus Christ. All of it is able to make us wise unto salvation. This is scripture's ability. And Jesus believed in this scripture's ability. You look on your handouts there in Luke 24, verse 44, it says this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. This is Jesus' Bible study. What Jesus chooses to do with his disciples after he raises from the dead is he chooses to do this Bible study. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds To understand the scriptures. This is the ability of the scriptures. That is a way of summarizing the whole Old Testament. The law of Moses. The Torah. The prophets. Which include not only the major and minor prophets. But some narrative texts. Joshua and Judges. And first and second Samuel. And then the Psalms. Which is a summary way of saying. The writings in the scriptures. All of these. They were written about me. Jesus says. And then his opponents, his opponents, they did a Bible study, you see that on your notes. In John uh, 5, 39, it says this, Jesus said to his opponents, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think that in the very words of scripture, the the ink on the page or whatever it is, you think in them there's life. Basically, what he's saying is, you're study nerds, you see them, in them there's life. But what you forget is what those words are pointing to. You see, I've studied with many men, many smart men, women, who are much smarter than me, who, who were in love and infatuated with the words, but they forgot about what the words were bearing witness to. What Jesus is saying is that the words bear witness to me. Oh, we can be in love with the beauty of the words and the structure of the words and all the nerdy things about the words what they bear witness to is Jesus. So this is Scripture's ability. It is able to make us wise unto salvation. And then you have Scripture's profitability. God didn't just give us the Bible to fill our heads. He gave us the Bible so that it would impact our lives, make a difference to our lives. And it says this, Scripture's profitability in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That is kind of what was being talked about yesterday, the inspiration of Scripture. And it's profitable. That means it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It is useful. How is it useful? It is useful for my belief, the teaching And it is useful for my life in terms of reproof and correction and training and righteousness. So what does this mean for the sufficiency of Scripture? What we're saying about the Bible is this. It is able to make you wise unto salvation. And it is useful for your life. So the final words of Paul to Timothy. Stay in the Scriptures. So what could the sufficiency of Scripture mean for us? Well, I think it means something quite significant for parents, doesn't it? Quite significant. What do you do with your children? Send them to things that they can play games for the rest of their lives. Entertain your kids. Just entertain them. That's what we need to do. Pick the church that is most entertaining. No. No. Pick the church that sticks in the scripture. Get your children into the scripture. That is what will be able to make them wise unto salvation. That's what they need. Yeah, of course they should play games. Of course, we want our children to have fun. It's not just 24-7 Bible study, but you know what I'm talking about, don't you? We're so consumed with trying to entertain our kids that we forget what they actually need. And that's what Timothy grew up with. His mother and grandmother... Using the Scriptures, there is power. Get them into the Word. This is the sufficiency of Scripture by Scripture itself. So then what I want you to do now, as we work towards a definition of what sufficiency actually is, we're going to move to more clarity. I know there's not a load of clarity right now, but we're going to move to more clarity now as we look at some definitions. So we've looked at the Scripture, the Scripture's ability, and the Scripture's profitability, equals its sufficiency. Scripture is enough. We have what we need for our life, and we have what we need for our godliness in the Bible. And then, I want us now to look at the definitions. So there's some human definitions. So what I've done is I've taken from, I guess, different streams of Christianity, if you like, and there's there's agreement on this, in terms of the sufficiency of Scripture. So what I want you to do in your groups is, again, come to these definitions... They're on your sheets there. What I want you to do in your group, pick your reader. I want the reader just to read through all of them. And then just see, what are you learning about the sufficiency of... What are they agreeing on in these definitions? And what they're saying about the sufficiency of scripture? What are we seeing is kind of a commonality between these? And what does it mean for our lives? So what I want you to do, get really nerdy now. Get into the uh, confessions um and some definitions there so maybe just read through all of them and as the person is reading through all of them just pick out things that you see and then have a discussion about it and we'll talk about that again so go again? Anyone brave enough to tell me what similarities there are? Anything anything popped out? Go with with that. There's one major similarity. That's the whole council of God. The whole council of God, right? Did you notice um, the first two? First one represents the Presbyterians. Second one represents the Baptists. Did you notice the dates? 1647, 1689. Did you notice how similar the statements are? Those copyrighted Baptists. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I go to a Baptist church. (laughs) But it's quite significant, actually. Uh, The first Baptist confession was actually 1644. Um, but they didn't have uh, as comprehensive a statement on the scripture in that one. And then the second one was 1677, uh, which was kind of anonymously written, but we now know who did. And um, then they all joined together and signed the 1689. But when they wrote the 1689 one in 1677, they looked at the Westminster Confession by the Presbyterians and they said, Can't do anything really much better than that. So they just copied it and they acknowledged that. And so there is this, there is this wide agreement among evangelical Christians in relation. I could have done the 39 articles as well on on the sufficiency of scripture, that we all hold to this. We actually do. We hold to the sufficiency of scripture. And ultimately, what we're seeing in the sufficiency of scripture is this: God in giving us his word has given us what we ultimately need for faith, all our life, and godliness. In his word, he's given us what we ultimately need. So you want my definition? Scripture is enough. I mean, there's loads of words there that you can add to it, but we have what we need, all we need for life, and godliness, and to please Him, and to love Him, we have all we need right here. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to take away from it. We have all we need right here. And that is quite significant for how we live our life. Now, what we're saying, when we say that Scripture is enough, we're not saying that Scripture is exhaustive. So Scripture tells us enough of what we need, the principle of life, but Scripture is not exhaustive in telling us everything about everything in the world. What I mean by that, and people say, oh, that kind of sounds a bit wrong, it's it's not really if you think about it. Scripture doesn't tell us everything about everything. What I mean by that is this, the positive example on your sheets, it's the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs, we are given the wisdom of God. So we're given, in a sense, enough for what we need for for life and godliness. In and through the wisdom of God in that book, we are given enough. So if you want wisdom on on finances, if you want wisdom on parenting, if you want wisdom on all of these other topics, you can go to the book of Proverbs and you can get enough wisdom up in your life to live out in that way. Now Proverbs isn't just a, a guide and tip book for life. Proverbs is actually telling you what it means to fear the Lord. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord. So that's what Proverbs is doing. So that way, we're given what we need for our lives. It's enough. But it's not exhausting. Have you ever had a conversation? Do you talk to non-Christians? Anybody talk to people who are not Christians? I hope you do. It's good to talk to people who are not Christians. It's good to work with them. It's good to disagree with them. It's, it's good to be in conversations with them and not be in our own little holy huddle. Like, this is fantastic. This is brilliant, this conference, but we should not stay here. We get encouraged here so we can move out and speak about the Lord Jesus. But have you ever had non Christians come to you and and try and, like, you know, give the trump card? You know, this is really going to catch them out. So they'll come to you and they'll say something like this Well, what about the dinosaurs? What about the dinosaurs? They will think that your Bible says nothing about the dinosaurs. Surely it should say something about the dinosaurs. And then scriptures, and then, you know, Christians, we panic. We panic too much when people ask us questions. We shouldn't have to panic so much. But we do. So we panic and we try and look in, in the book of Job, and we say Job chapter 40, it talks about a behemoth. That kind of sounds like a big creature, a big kind of dinosaur. Or in Job 41, it talks about a leviathan. That sounds like a big creature. So, ah, i got you back. And we kind of have this kind of got you kind of conversation with them. Not a great way to do things. So he said, Oh, okay, got you back now. There is. But you know something? The scriptures are not about dinosaurs. <laughs> God didn't care really to tell us about a T Rex. I don't care about the T Rex in that way. Yes, God created all the animals. I don't deny that He created them. I don't deny that. But what is the scripture ultimately about? It's not a science tes- textbook, ultimately. What did Jesus say it is about? It bears witness about me, Jesus said. So when we look at the entirety of the scripture, what are we looking at? It is a story of redemption. In some way... Scripture is beautiful and wonderful and inerrant, but in some way it's God's condescension to human beings to give his word in in a book that is actually relatively small in many ways and form that book in genres so that we could understand. It's for us. He didn't tell us everything about everything. It's for us to be made wise unto salvation. It is enough. But it is not exhaustive we are to use our brains the bible didn't tell us to turn on the lights in the room you use your brain to turn on the light in the room so that you can read the word so we're to use human wisdom we're given that and so in that talking about the sufficiency of scripture what we see is that there are two types of sufficiency you look in your notes there we talk about two types of sufficiency There's what you can call progressive sufficiency and final sufficiency. John Frame calls them something something different, general, and particular, um, but progressive sufficiency and final sufficiency. What progressive sufficiency is there, you see that on your notes, the principle that at any point of redemption history, the revelation given at that time is sufficient. The revelation given at that time is enough. So, with Adam and Eve in the garden, when they were given this promise that there would come one who would crush the head of the serpent, that was enough. That word from God was sufficient for them at that time. But not for us now, right? It was sufficient for them at that time. And then God came and he spoke to Noah. And he spoke a covenant promise to Noah. And that was sufficient at its time. But it wasn't sufficient for Abraham because God came and he spoke to Abraham and gave him the covenant promise. in Genesis chapter 12 and affirmed it in 15 and affirmed it in 17 again. You see this progressive revelation happening. And then Timothy, the scripture was sufficient for him when he was growing up to make him wise unto salvation. It was enough for him then, but it is not enough later for us. So you've got this idea of progressive sufficiency. Once you were given the word in salvation history at the time, it was enough for you at that time. But now we're in the age of what? Final sufficiency, where the scripture, the canon of scripture is now closed. We have all that we need spoken from God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing more to be added to it. It was progressive at a time, And now it is final. Now it is finished. And how do we know that it is final? We know that it is final from the example of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. This is final sufficiency. It's defined there. When redemption is final, revelation is also final. What that means now is there's no more special revelation in this sense. We have it fully and finally in Scripture God has given you all the tools you need for your life and for godliness and all of it, absolutely all of it is found here. It's found here. And so that's what we take our great joy in. So what I want to turn to now is um, four practical implications of sufficiency. If that's all true... How does the sufficiency of scripture work out in my decision making, work out in my worship, how does it work out in tradition, and how does it work out in Bible reading? What I want to do actually is open it up for discussion again, so I'm going to actually go to point two there, the sufficiency of corporate and corporate worship. So what I want you to do in your groups in in relation to point two is just say hello again to the people in your group hi, and tell them what church you go to, and then just say, what does a Sunday morning look like in your church? Hmm. What do you do on Sunday morning in your church? Now here's what I don't want to happen. Don't do like church bashing. Right? <laughs> oh, we don't do this and don't do that. I hate this and I hate it. I don't <laughs> care about that. What do you do, and let's try and be positive. It was amazing. We flew into Ireland last night, and it was just like in Dublin Airport, it's like this sea of negativity. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. Sorry, uh, not not Dublin in general. I'm just saying, Irish people. Our, our, person, our personalities are just like, oh, you know, welcome back to rainy Ireland. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, and smile a little bit. Okay, so sorry. Uh, so what I want us to do? Talk about talk about your church. What you do on a Sunday morning. Uh, positively, okay? Let's let's do that. <laughs> Excellent, okay, fantastic. Woo! dodge not bullet. on it, okay. Okay, teach the children, anything else? Teach the children the Word. Anybody else? What do you do on a Sunday morning? It's just simple, right? what, do you, what do you do? Baptist, we worship. Corp Baptist, you worship. Yeah. And you said sing praise. So we sing praise. Okay, anything else that you do on a Sunday morning? The Lord's Table. The Lord's Table. Okay. So we... Fellowship. Fellowship. The Lord's Table. Pray. We eat and we drink. Go on. <laughs> what is it? We pray. We pray. Who are you? What church are you I from? Church. You pray. You pray. pray. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's actually quite simple, isn't it? I mean, most of us, we talk and we say, we do that. We do that. There's quite a lot of agreement among evangelical churches as to what we should do. You know, if the Lord calls us to worship him, and if the Lord has given us his word, then surely he has given us enough in his word of what we should do, right? And so in your notes, we talk about this, um, you know, uh, the reformers before you talk about these two principles, You have the regulative principle, and this is a principle that states that everything we do in corporate worship gathering has to be clearly warranted in Scripture. Scripture has to call us to do what we're doing on a Sunday morning. So it has to have clear warrant, either explicitly commanded in Scripture or a necessary implication from Scripture. Most of us, I would argue, in our churches, actually, even though you never knew it, we follow that principle, the regulative principle. Most of us do. But then there's the normative principle which says that if it's not forbidden, we can do it. Basically, there's a ton of freedom. We can do whatever we want if it's not forbidden. What I would say is that Scripture has actually given us enough. But it's not exhaustive, is it? There's nothing in Scripture that tells us about the order of service. It's not exhaustive. We're not told when to pray and the order of things We're not told how long a sermon should be. So he can preach for an hour if he wants, if he can get away with it. Or 10 minutes, or whatever. There's not that. It's not exhaustive in that sense. But we are given enough, aren't we? We're told in Scripture to pray. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. First of all, then, I urge you, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made. We're called to publicly read. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. We're called to sing, Uh, Ephesians 5.19, sing to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're not only called to sing to God, we're called to sing to each other, which means we're to hear each other's voices, right? We're called to sing to each other. We're called to preach. Preach the word in season and out of season. And we're called to eat and drink. Celebrate the Lord's table. Did you hear that word? Celebrate. Enjoy that together. As fellowship. That's what we're called to do. It's actually half twelve. So if parents, if parents need to go, uh, you can go right now. But I actually have more time because we started ten minutes late. So, if you put up with me, will you put up with me for a second? If par- parents, will, you will need to go and collect your kids. But if you put up with me for a second, I probably won't finish everything. We'll just, um, I'll get my 10 minutes if I can. Is that okay? Okay, all right. So, what we're saying is that Scripture has given us what we need. My wife's leaving. Imagine that. Goodness. No, no. Like finally <laughs> I got permission to leave the yes, service <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, Might regret that later. Okay. <laughs> so, um, we're called to do very simple things and we all agree with these things fundamentally. We have been given enough in Scripture to worship the Lord. We've been given enough, even in terms of our decision making. So back to point one. Uh, I just wanted you to discuss for a second. I'm going to go through one, three, and four. Um, Well, one is going to be a bit longer, and then three and four are going to be really quick. Uh, One, our decision making. Do you think that we have enough in the Bible to make all of our decisions? All of our decisions. So sometimes we look at the scripture, we look at narrative text. So like um, the example I give is like Acts chapter 1 verse 23, when they're picking, you know, Judas's replacement. So if they're picking Judas' replacement, they have a choice between two guys. They have this decision to make, this choice between two guys. And what do they do to make the decision? They cast lots. Right. So, for every decision, we cast lots. Yes, no. Well, we have a narrative text, and you have to make this decision, no matter where you are, no matter what church you're going to or whatever, you have to make this decision. What is descriptive and what is prescriptive? So what is being described as a narrative of what they did, and what is being prescribed as, in terms of what we should do? So not everything that is described in a narrative that Christians do in the Old Testament, they cut off someone's head it's not telling us that that's what we should do it's telling us what they did then right so not everything that is descriptive is prescriptive for us you have to make that decision that's called interpretation of the Bible hermeneutics of the Bible you have to make that decision so the Bible in one sense we look at those decisions and we say is that how we make decisions no I don't think so but I think we've been given enough in Scripture, enough wisdom in Scripture to make even complicated decisions, and make them freely, and thank the Lord that we have been given brains to make decisions. So the example I'd be given: if you felt that the Lord is calling you to go to Spain and go on missions to Spain, do you just make that decision there and then? How do you do that? What do you, what, what do, you do with that decision? And I've taken the Book of Proverbs and I just just some wisdom that's given in Proverbs. You have first, you could take your time on the decision. Now Proverbs, what they have in in Proverbs is not guaranteed truths. It's not guaranteed truth. It's a general truth of wisdom that has been given to us. So in Proverbs it says, the encouragement would be to take your time. The plans of a diligent person lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Does that mean I'll be rich every time I take my time? No, it's a, a general truth a guaranteed truth. Then the scripture would tell us, talk to God. That's a wise thing to do. Then we would be told to talk to other people, many counsellors, many advisors, Proverbs 15, 22. And then finally, we trust God. The heart of a man plans his way, for the Lord establishes his steps. And then do you know what you do? Make the decision. Decide. You've taken your time. You've talked to God. You've sought wise counsel in your local church. You've prayed about it. And then just decide. You don't need to do this. To say Spain
1: here. Say, hopefully I'm in Romans.
0: Please. Spain. No. You don't have to do it that way. The Bible is not exhaustive in that sense. It's not saying go to Spain. But it does say what? Go to the ends of the earth. So there's some scriptural backing in that. And um, the sufficiency of scripture for decision making. Uh, traditions. Uh, traditions and sufficiency of scripture. I've got I'll do four minutes. Are we okay? Four minutes. Uh, sufficiency of scripture and tradition. Um, some people, you know, you're talking to a non Christian and you say, you know, my, my church is not traditional. Tradition, not traditional. I know what we mean when we're saying that? But that's lies. Every church is traditional in some way. Like I speak up front in my church, right? I speak up front. I know where everybody is going to sit on Sunday. <laughs> I know where everybody's going to sit on Sunday. I know exactly where they're going to go. I know where the dad's going to go, and where the mother's going to go. I know I know where they're going to be. That's traditional. And in fact, probably where you're seated, seated here in terms of position, either more at the front, middle or back, it might resemble where you usually sit. Maybe, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. But we are traditional in that sense. Oh, our church is not about liturgy or whatever. No, your church pretty much is. You probably do it kind of this thing at this time and this thing at this time and that. It's not wrong, it's just what we do. So that, I, I wouldn't say that, that's bad tradition. That's an elevating tradition in that sense. But what happened in the, in, the, in the church of Rome is they would elevate tradition. So you'd have the, the kind of three, three, three steps. You'd have scripture, the authority of scripture. And then at the same level, the authority of tradition, man's tradition. And at the same level, the authority of what they call the magisterium, which is papal authority. That his words are on the same level as scripture. To which we would say, not a chance, buddy. You know, no human being has that authority. So what we believe in sola scriptura is scripture alone. The scripture is the final authority. That's not saying that all tradition is bad, but all tradition is weighed in light of scripture. So that doesn't mean, okay, you know, man's words. It doesn't mean, like, burn all your study Bibles, you know, because there's man's word in with the Bible. It doesn't mean that. We can learn from man's word, but we're not elevating it at the same level of authority as the scriptures themselves. So it impacts the way we view and see um, tradition. It is, Kevin DeYoung, um, alone does not mean by itself. It's not it's sola scriptura, not solo scriptura apart from any communal or confessional considerations, but that scripture alone is the final authority. So that doesn't mean that we don't listen to other human teachings or whatever, other things that might help us understand the Bible. What we're saying is, the scripture trumps it all. And even the Bible-only Baptists had confessions in 1689, 1677, and 1644, because they believed that the confessions were helpful. To help us understand and apply the scripture. The last thing I'll say to you is Psalm 119. There's efficiency and reading the word. Just turn to Psalm 119, please. And I'll finish just by reading this. The whole thing? No. <laughs> Not the whole thing. Psalm 119, verse 41. We'll do that stanza. Verse 41, when we, the sufficiency of Scripture has to mean, when we read the Word, we are reading God's Word to us. Verse 41, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me. For I trust in your word, and take not delight in the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. For my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not put to shame, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your <clears throat> commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. The sufficiency of Scripture is not a nerd's game. The sufficiency of Scripture here tells us two things. Number one, it tells us God loves you. The steadfast love of the Lord is found in His Word. Mm -hmm. What do you do with the person you love? What should you do with the person you're married to? Talk. Why? Because speaking communicates love. God has taught to us. The sufficiency of Scripture speaks of God's love. And also what does it speak of? Our delight. I delight in your law all the day long. Hmm. That's what the sufficiency of Scripture means. It is a delight to us. If you are not in love with the scriptures, fall in love again. Not for their sake alone, but because they point ultimately to Him. Mm -hmm. Let me pray, and then Kevin's going to talk to you about tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, Thank you for the session and the seminar. Thank you for the sufficiency of your word, your love, and the delight that we are to have in your word. You are good, Lord. Thank you for communicating to us. In your name, amen.